everyone, welcome to another edition of Outside is Overrated, the only podcast where Tom and Joey shove it in your ear for an hour plus every month. Welcome back, Joey Burns. Hey, it's good to be here. We have what I am <laughs> confident is another wonderful show for you this month. We are con men. Yes. Yes, we are. So, you know, for only... Three installments of $3,000 each, I can change your life. $3,000? What about $299.99? No, because that's just, it's, we don't need to mess around with decimals. Everybody hates change. I just took change to the bank, and it was like $136 I got back, but you just, that change just sits there forever. That's money I could have used, or I could have put it in a bank and gotten interest. You could have used it at a conference we were just at. That's true, I could have. That would have paid for almost my, uh... Big purchase of the event. <laughs> Episode 11, Tom and Joey are con men. Here's what we're going to talk about this show. Joey went to Adepticon, which I had not heard of before, but we're going to dive in there and talk about all the sights and sounds. We're going to cover Tom Awesome's top five conferences that I'd like to attend. Joey and I attended the Midwest Gaming Classic, and we're going to talk all about that. Burnsy read another book, and then we're going to close out with a Final Fantasy update. Sounds like a packed show they always are <laughs> so as, when i came up with the title i was really excited the con men because we go to conventions mm-hmm. yeah yeah oh shoot Convention. well yeah. here so 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 tom how this works is i'm on the top of this level okay uh-huh you and another friend get underneath me once you do how generally likes to be underneath <laughs> do how and patrick would both be happy so there you go you got do how and patrick underneath you mm-hmm. then they get people oh, underneath, underneath them yeah you know yeah. And, and then what happens is we don't have to do any work anymore they just do it and the people they find do it and then they don't have to do any more work anymore and then we just make money i like making money that sounds like a great plan yes I, that's all we have to do we just got to set it up it's 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 just like the underpants gnomes Step one, collect the underpants. Step three, profit. Pure profits. Pure profits. So like so many things I do, the title is just a ripoff from a web series. <laughs> Did you ever actually <laughs> see Conmen, the web series with Alan? I understand his name is not Turdick, but Tudick. Yes. Uh, I, I have not seen the series with uh, the web series with him and Nathan Fillion, no. Yeah, neither have I. It's an interesting premise. They're former sci-fi stars that go to conventions, and it looks really funny, but I don't watch a lot of web series. I guess I watch lots of random things on the internet. Oh, Um, nothing good, apparently. Hey, you haven't lived until you've seen professional marble racing on the internet. So, hey, it's got millions of views. You just got to look it up. I watched, like, three seasons of Video Game High School. I think I'm good. (laughs) Before we launch into our full body of our show, we would like to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. You can check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. Thank you again to Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. So this has been a good month. We talked in March about what a great month it was for gaming because of Sekiro and a whole bunch of other stuff. But I have two big exclusive interviews coming to Outside is Overrated. I'm super excited for it. It's a pair of brothers. It's Paul and Sam Charchin. Now, Paul is a nationally known fantasy football analyst, and he's also the creator of Fanball.com, and he has a weekly video game show. So he was a perfect fit. He's got 65,000 followers on Twitter, and he is about the nicest person on the planet. I think, uh, at least amongst my friends who listen to this podcast, everyone knows who Church is. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those big Minnesota nerd, you know, personalities. If you're... 
a nerd either about sports or a nerd about video games, you probably know who Charch is. And he was kind enough to take not just a half an hour of his time for the website, but the first time I talked to him, my audio recorder failed after six minutes and a 40-minute conversation, and he was kind enough to reschedule the interview. I can't say enough good things about Paul Charchin. That's awesome. Also, his brother Sam is a terrific fit for the website. Sam was the other interview. He worked for Microsoft for 10 years, including for the launch of the Xbox 360, and he also worked for Sony for five years. So he had some really great experience and some great stories about working inside the industry. That's really cool. Um, That's sweet that you were able to talk to both of them about the varying things that they're interested in. Very kind of them to share some time with me. Also this month, I saw Aquaman, and for me, I thought it was kind of an up-and-down experience, but overall, I really enjoyed it. Uh, It's a zero for me because there was never the... From like the Super Friends cartoon, that was the best, and yeah, they didn't never do really that. watch Super Friends. What? Yeah, that's how that he did it that. Sounds magical. And then that he controlled animals. Oh. It's just like I did that, and the dog came over here. That's the same thing. Oh, same you thing. Know? I thought Aquaman controlled fish. That didn't work that time, but oh, <laughs> awesome. Um, I really liked Aquaman. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, graphically, it was really cool. I, some of the CGI is some of the best CGI I've ever seen. I saw it in the theater, too, so that probably helped sway it a little bit, maybe. I had to settle for a 70-inch TV in my basement. Life is terrible. <laughs> so terrible. Uh, but it was... I liked it a lot. I thought it was interesting and fun. Probably one of the more corny superhero movies made in the last 40 years. It's like... Okay. Some corn is a little bit of fun. Uh, and I thought so, too. And, and, and it... it it makes that character interesting because we have someone like Jason Momoa, who's this, I mean, the guy is a freaking, I mean, he looks like a god. So it's one of those things where to see him just be this cornball <laughs> is really funny, and it's interesting to see that. Side note, he should be Hercules. I, I never watched that. the Rocky Lees, but I'm sure that <laughs> those two would be just terrific together. That'd be interesting. I'd like to see that. So I don't tend to grab movies from Redbox, but I did for this one. I was going to watch it on a Friday night. I happened to cross a Redbox on a Thursday night, so I grabbed it. Uh-oh. So one day extra. Watched it on Friday. Forgot about it for like a week. Uh-oh. I wound up paying $17 for this Redbox, and I generally hate paying more than $20 to own a movie. <laughs> that's kind of a bummer. That's that's the, the bad thing about Redbox. Sure, they're everywhere, and it's easy to return them, but you still got to remember to do it, and you still got to find the time to watch it first, right? Yeah, like I didn't even go in my basement for days, and then like I stumbled down there to do some laundry or something, I'm like, oh, crap, this is going to suck. <laughs> that's kind of like when Netflix first started doing the digital stuff, and I really just did that. But I still had, like, the three movies from them sitting on my entertainment stand, and I didn't watch them for probably a good eight months. Um, and, and, but, that, but then at least I was getting something out of my money. But that's easy to do. I, I, I can see how that could happen. I mean, as somebody who paid for a Sirius XM radio in his last car for a good five years and never used it, I can see how that can happen. <laughs> You're very efficient with your money, my friend. Are you playing anything interesting this month? Well, actually, I've recently, just last week, or well, as we were recording last week, in the middle of April, they put Dreams, the Media Molecule, blah, 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 blah. That was beautiful. Should I keep that or cut that? <laughs> you could do whatever you want with it. I'm going to need a t-shirt, man, that says Dreams, the Media, blah, 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 blah
I, I would like to see how you'd spell that out. That, that, I'm always intrigued from like the onomata poetic perspective mm-hmm. of how you would spell out all of that. That'd be interesting. I'm just going to put an audio clip on a shirt. <laughs> Embed an MP3 player within the fabric. Uh, charge it with the sun. Charge it with the sun. So it will huh? never stop. Solar powered yes. T-shirt. This is very live, ambitious. You shall live in infamy, Joey Burns. <laughs> and then you just poke someone's chest, and it just goes blah 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 blah. Don't even have to poke it; it knows when you're looking at oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm working on some shit here. Joey. I was gonna say you're working on lots of stuff. Yeah, I got all kinds of Stark Tech up in this bitch. <laughs> well, uh, I am not that advanced in dreams yet. I am still to the point of trying to figure out how to hold the controller and not have it screw up what it is I'm trying to place. But it's really interesting. So right now it's still seated with a lot of the games that people have created or experiences that people created from the initial beta, which came out at the beginning of the year. And so playing some of those things, it's it's interesting what people came up with on their first go-through of using the game. Any examples of cool things you saw? Uh, well, so first you have the, I guess the category that we could put it into is the imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So somebody made a, a pretty close replica of PT. So the, the demo that's the horror one where you're basically just going down a hallway they did a lot of those same things within this. It looks a lot like it. The layout is a lot like it. So that's really interesting. People made, someone made the Mario 1-1 level that has the music and the jumping sound, but none of the other sound effects. Huh. And uh, you, you don't get like the mushrooms and stuff like that, but it looks just like the OG Mario. So fascinating. The, the fact that somebody put the time in to craft it that way is really interesting. Uh, then there's uh, another game that's in the mold of Skyrim. It's not using the same assets or anything, but it's a first-person RPG where you move around a town, you get quests, you go out, you attack things, and it's really interesting to see how that works. And the the sheer variety of the things that people are coming up with within this is really interesting. So Media Molecule, if you don't know, are the people that made Little Big Planet a thing. Uh, the limitation of Little Big Planet, even though some people came up with some interesting things you could do with it, it was mostly just a side-scrolling platformer. Uh, apparently, someone made a first-person shooter in that. I never saw it. That sounds impossible. <laughs> apparently, somebody did. Uh, but otherwise, it was really just that. You could make a lot of platformers. And even though the tutorials kind of lead you through platformer creation stuff to start with, like making areas to jump between and making a bridge between different pillars so that you can traverse it. There's all sorts of different things that people are coming up with. So someone created, do you ever play like the track and field games on like the NES or PlayStation? Yeah. Yeah. So one that's just like that where it's hurdles where you're hitting the circle and X button repeatedly and then you have to hit, uh, I think it's a trigger to jump over the hurdles and you're just trying to run as fast as you can and it adds these little graphical elements as you're running really fast that like is heating up the ground like you're running so fast you're burning the asphalt that you're running on and it's just kind of cool and it's 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 from the sort of isometric point of view as you're running and then there will be a space shooter where you're flying around and shooting things in your reticle in front of you Uh, and then that'll go into just an experience where you're wandering around a streetscape it's really interesting the different things that you can do within it and it will be really interesting to see once people can dig into it more i think the first beta was only like a month 
And the fact that some people were able to create what's in there now in just that period of time is it's going to be really interesting to see uh, what people can actually do with that with more time. Because really, now that it's in early access, the game's going to be as it is to launch whenever they take it out of early access. So there could be some things that change, but I don't know. It's really interesting, and there's some really clever things with the actual creation tools. I'm only through the first like two sets of tutorials, uh, which is just really the basic world-building stuff, and then they have tutorials that are about how to animate things, how to create a character, how to do all these other different things, how to make music. They have a fully functioning music creation suite that they've developed for the game. It, it is so ambitious and huge. It's going to be really interesting to see how much it catches on and what all types of things people create and if there's an avenue for people to actually make money out of the things that they put their time into. So it's going to be really cool to see what happens with it. The monetization thing is going to be super interesting. Dreams is basically a game engine disguised very loosely as a game, mm -hmm. and I agree that it's going to be fascinating to see the stuff that comes out of it. Uh, and if you can monetize stuff, is it a challenger for Unity, a free engine that people right. use? Right. Fascinating thing for the industry. Moving on, we both have some Gloomhaven updates. I have another session coming up this Saturday. It'll be our second session. I am super excited to jump back in, level up, and earn me some perks. Woot woot! Speaking of leveling up, I finally have retired my third character. You guys have played this game a lot. Second character. Retired my second character. I'm on my third character, but yeah. Yeah, we have played the game a lot. It's actually just past our one-year anniversary of playing it. And Did so, you guys do something special for one year? Uh, we together? didn't do anything special. We, we just we were sitting... on a special romantic retreat somewhere with Gloomhaven? No, we did not do that. Uh, not yet, anyway. Maybe we'll come up with something. It was more so just we're sitting around the table this weekend, and uh, one of the guys said, I think it's been about... No. <laughs> he said, I think it's been about a year since we started this. I was like, yeah, that's about right. But uh, I just looked through it. It was April 15th of last year was when we played our first game, and that was without our fourth person, John, because he couldn't make it for the first session. Uh, and so then the second session was on April 19th. So, uh -huh. And in that time, we have played 48 times. We have successfully defeated 45 scenarios. And uh, we are one step shy of Prosperity Level 6. And it goes up to 10, I believe, up to 9. So we're making pretty good progress on that. We've prayed to the Sanctuary 61 times to get uh, boosts within the game. Uh, but it's been a ton of fun. Uh, it's I don't know. This is probably bordering on the most I've ever played a game. Period. Much less a board game, for sure. And this from a guy who has dumped hundreds of hours into various video games. That is true. That is very true. It's been fantastic, and I'm glad that we were able to keep the group together to get as far as we have, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know, I guess I don't know how long it'll take for us to get through it. We have to be over the halfway point, I would guess, at this point, especially seeing as how once you get do certain things, other things are locked off and you can't do those again, and so I'm pretty sure we're probably at like the two-thirds point here. Uh, next time we go out there, we will be doing a side scenario again. Oh, it's really interesting. There's definitely some things that the game could improve upon, but it is a really, really cool thing to open up a new character and see what it is and see, okay, 
now I have to play this completely differently than I've played the game before. So I would still highly recommend it to anybody. I'm glad you guys are getting back together to play it again. Me too. We also have a couple of corrections. Going back to Outside is Overrated Episode 8. During our now infamous Quiet Man discussion, <laughs> Joey, you mentioned a Square game called The Brawler, but it's yeah. since been pointed out to me that the game you were referring to is almost definitely The Bouncer. That is 100% correct. So you're a big dummy, is what the uh, person wanted me to I, I am a very big dummy, yeah. and I, I, I kind of knew when I said it that The Brawler was not the right name, and I might have even said that when I was saying it, too, because I just kind of blanked on it. But yeah, The Bouncer definitely... Just it's right. amazing how often we just blank out and just keep speaking on this show. <laughs> it's magical. Also, in that same episode, you said it was a Square Enix game, but it was actually a Square game. It predates the merger. Nice work, Burns. Uh, special thanks to my friend Mike for pointing out the errors. If you have any issues with our show, if you find any errors, if you'd like to give some positive feedback, we encourage you to follow us on social. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. There are two R's in overrated. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome and or hobbyboxburns, no underscores, no awesome. Uh, you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. You can follow us on Instagram at outside underscore overrated pod. Follow us everywhere. It'll be magical. Yeah, and you can follow me to see nothing on Instagram at yeah. hobbyboxburns too. So Yeah, Big proponents of doing nothing here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I've lived a relatively sheltered life. Now, I chased a baseball dream. I spent three summers in Massachusetts in college broadcasting baseball games. I spent four years working, toiling away in minor league baseball. But for all my passion for gaming and as much as I love this hobby, until very recently, I have never been to a gaming convention. Fortunately, I've had hobby box burns to live through vicariously. <laughs> And he's here to tell us about it. Joey, you went to Adepticon yes. last month. Yes. So before we launch into Adepticon, how many times have you gone to this thing? So I believe this was the fifth time that I've gone, fifth or sixth. We it's were not just you, but it's a whole crew, correct? Yeah, yeah. We were sitting there trying to figure out, everybody was trying to figure out how many times they've gone, and nobody could really hone in on an exact number. Uh, but yeah, so you should just get a tattoo every year that you go. <laughs> I guess we could we could do that, but it's now it's kind of a moot point because I don't remember for sure the other things. I guess if I really thought about it enough, but it's been about five or six times now. So now Adepticon, for those not familiar, like I wasn't until very very recently, it is the premier war gaming convention. This year there are over five thousand six hundred attendees. There are over five hundred tournaments and events. Over 115 exhibitors and more than 150 hobby seminars. So what were some of the highlights for you, Joey? Yeah, it is massive. Uh, it, it's, it's I never get tired of hearing you say that. <laughs> I never get tired of saying it either. <laughs> it's a mouthful sometimes. but Yeah, we're going to take a real quick break here. We're going to set up and take care of some <laughs> things. And, uh, you know, I'll cut it so no one will ever know. So go ahead, Joey. Huh, my jaw's a little sore. But anyway, I'll try to fight through it. Stop complaining or we're going to do it again. <laughs> Watermelon. Watermelon. <laughs> so Adepticon is... Adepticon's... It's, it's crazy big. There's so much going on. Uh, since I started going to it, they've changed venues once. 
because they simply outgrew the venue that it was at previously. 5,600 people is a lot, and it's a four-day event, right? Yeah, and, and then when you think about the sheer amount of every game that you're playing takes up either a three-by-three, three-foot-by-three-foot table, four-foot-by-four-foot table, or in the case of Warhammer, six-foot-by-four-foot table. And when we're looking at Warhammer, the tournament I was in had 112 teams playing in it, which was two games apiece. Good lord. Just the massive amount of space that you need to have just for that one tournament. And Granted, that's the largest tournament of the weekend. But still, the sheer amount of space you have to have for that is insane. So it was at the the Schaumburg Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois. And it's, it's, it's crazy. The line for picking up the badges on Wednesday night when it first opened streamed all the way from one end of the convention center. And it's probably, I don't know, guesstimate, probably a three-tenths of a mile distance. That's a very precise guesstimate. <laughs> I was just, I was like, it's not a half a mile. That's a long ways. Um, and maybe three-tenths of a mile is a long time, too. I don't know. It was over probably two football fields, though, from uh, how long the line was to just pick up the badges on Wednesday night. And so it's a lot of people. It's a lot of fun, though, too. So really, if anybody plays tabletop war games, and so we're talking about the games where you have the little miniatures, you paint them up, you put them there, you move them around the table, and you roll dice to see what they do, they've probably heard of Adepticon, but if you haven't, it is the, as you said, premier tabletop wargaming tournament. A lot of the people that play all of the different tabletop war games from across the world go there. There's a company called Geek Nation Tours that do tours for people that are from other countries just to come to Adepticon and kind of get in there and show them where all the stuff is and what are the things that they want to play uh, and then tour them kind of around the city before the convention starts. It is a 4.15 day convention because this year they started doing some events on Wednesday night now when the badges are released. Otherwise, it's all day Thursday through all day Sunday. Uh, they had that entire long weekend just filled with all sorts of games. I always go, I, we've been going with a group of about the same seven people since I started going. Uh, this year, uh, one person couldn't go that usually goes, but another person, a new person came. And so we end up getting hotel rooms at the venue if we can. Now that there's so many people, that's really hard to do. So this year we had an Airbnb for part of the time too, which was this crazy house where a bunch of people went to to watch the Great Chicago Fire <laughs> when it happened, and it was the guy who founded Arlington Heights. Uh, his son lived in the house. It was just all this weird stuff. Anyway, Adepticon's pretty great, though as somebody who doesn't really play a lot of tabletop war games but enjoys playing them, it can be extremely intimidating to be in one of these tournaments and think you know the rules, but then when it's like on... You really don't know the rules 100% a lot of the time, and it gets crazy sometimes. So you're saying you let the entire team down. Nice work, Joey. Tell us about the tournament. Was there any conflict on the team? And tell us about the setup and any extraneous points with the Warhammer. Yeah, so the group of guys that I went with, this is the third time now that they decided to do the uh, Warhammer 40,000, or as they always call it, Warhammer 40K. Uh, team tournament and so it's the largest tournament in the event or in the whole con 
Uh, this year it had 525 or 26 participants, something like that. And so it's four-person teams. You play two games at a time. So you're paired off into you know two partners for your teams, and you play against the other team that has their two partners split off. And if you're not familiar with Warhammer 40,000, it's a brass tacks sci-fi game with space marines and then other alien races that you fight against. And so really how it works is you have your squads, you move them across the table, try to capture objectives, and you pew, pew, pew across the table, roll an ass ton of dice. One time, uh, my friend Chewie, in one attack, rolled 115 dice. So he had to count out one, two, <laughs> three, four. That sounds awful. That's too many dice. So it's, it, it is insane. And so he basically had like 20 dice, so he just rolled them five times, took out five, rolled them another time, calculated how many times he hit. It, it, it gets to be a lot of math, and especially... Uh, if you're like me and not 100% familiar with doing that too often or not seasoned with it. And not it gets, so good at adding. Yeah, it gets really difficult. So anyway, this is the <clears> third <throat> time they've done the team tournament. And just to give a little bit more background about the tournament itself, this is the crown jewels of this tournament. So people go all out for this. They will spend a ton of hours painting their army to make it as elaborate and as cool as possible with conversions to make them look completely different than what they do just in the rule book itself. And then they will create these massive display boards that'll be sometimes six feet by six feet that'll have this huge diorama of something that's going on usually with something tall above it as well that's just towering over it all and it's this huge scene and it's become such a big thing that what they do is they take the top 10 display boards and they place them out for the entire convention the night uh in between the tournament so the tournament's on saturday and sunday so saturday night for six hours it sits out in like the main walkway of the con so that everybody can walk by and see everything on display so it's this thing that that you, if you are interested in the game at all, you want to do this once in your life because it is like the creme de la creme of everybody that plays it. You said those those displays are like six by six. Yeah, that would be such a huge pain in the ass to get to Chicago. Like, yes, you guys did one of these. Like, how on earth did you transport this bastard? Well, well so long story short, their uh, display board was created, but they didn't take it this year. To, to sort of jockey around what had happened, I was the plan C. I've played Warhammer 40K maybe five times before this tournament in my whole life. And you didn't have the rules down. Shame on I, you. Yeah, I know. I'd played this edition of Warhammer 40K once, and it was the weekend it came out as a test game for the other people because they needed an extra person to play. Um... So, long story short, some people ended up having to drop out. Uh, one was a month and a half before the tournament, and then the other one was the week before the tournament. That is tough. And it sounds like this is something that requires a tremendous amount of planning and coordination and effort. Yes. I feel for the rest of your team, the guys that had committed and stuck it through. Yeah, yeah. It, it was an unfortunate situation, uh, especially because, yes, then I had to play. 
and Which I was just makes everything so much worse. <laughs> yes, and then so I was playing with an army that one of the guys on the team had created for the first time they had played in the team tournament uh, about seven or eight years ago, and so the list was not optimized as to how the game is played today. <laughs> what is a list? So you each squad is a certain amount of points in the game. And so the rule book will say it's this, and if you add certain weapons, you get more points. Add vehicles, those are worth so many points. Add characters, those are worth so many points. And so each game has a a set number of points that it's worth. So I think ours was uh, 2,000 split between both players. So 1,000 for one player, 1,000 for another. And so you create your list of all of those things uh, there's more guidance to that. Like you can only have so many like really good units, and then you have to have like core units that are so much too. And so you figure out all of that math to put together your best list that you can get in a thousand points. But unfortunately, I was playing Grey Knights, which are a Space Marines faction. In the current edition of Warhammer 40k, the Space Marines were the first one to get new rules in the edition. And that was three years ago, so or two years ago, two and a half years ago. In that time, the meta has changed a lot. The game has changed a lot. And so they've kind of gotten left behind. And I was playing one of the factions of Space Marines that was already kind of cruddy. And so it didn't go well. So an inexperienced <laughs> player with a crappy team. It's amazing that you guys didn't rule this tournament. Yes, yes, it is. So uh, it's, it's a five-game tournament. Three on Saturday, two on Sunday. The the games that I played in, we lost all of ours, zero to 40. Um, one of the games, the other team in our group had scored, I think it was, I think it was like 12 or 14 points. So it was, so it was 26 to 14. So it was close. Uh, they almost came away with a win out of it. And maybe they were just blowing smoke up my ass. They said that I actually made good decisions a lot of the time. There was a couple times. I find that very difficult to believe. <laughs> uh, but, but like I explained before, you're rolling a lot of dice a lot of the time. And each unit has its own sort of specific rules. And so you're, you have to know what your number is in order to hit them compared to their number uh, from what kind of cover they get, and then you the strength of your weapon versus their toughness of their armor, and that calculates what you need to roll in order to hit them, and then they usually get a save on top of that in order to save against those wounds, and so it's a lot of quick mental math back and forth across the table that gets to be, when you're playing the game for the first time in a long, long time, your your mind just sort of turns to mush after a while. <laughs> I believe it. You just totally turned me off. <laughs> that being said, if your team finds itself in similar hardship next year, I am totally in. <laughs> I think this would be so cool to experience. I would learn to play and uh, see if I could outperform you this year. Yeah, it's yeah, well, it, it's a low, low, low bar, so you probably could. But uh, aside from that, though, Adepticon was a really good time. What else did you play there? So I played, so in the swag bag, so when you sign up for it, you can get just the regular daily badges. You can, so if you're just going to come on a Friday or a Saturday, you could just get that day's badge. That really just gets you in the door. 
or you can get the weekend badge, which will get you a small swag bag. Usually it's a book for some sort of game and maybe a few random miniatures, or you can get the premium badge, which are, which is what I got. And you get a guaranteed swag bag, which will give you a bunch of different models from various different game systems, some demo kits for different things. Or you can get the VIG, the Very Important Gamer, which gets you a two time size swag bag along with what you get. So this year um, in the swag bag, we were actually, it was probably the best year we ever got for all of the free stuff that we ended up, well, air quotes free, mm-hmm. free stuff that we got in it. Uh, but we actually got the tabletop war game for the Game of Thrones. It's based off of the books. So it's a Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniatures game made by Cool Mini or Not. And we got the $150 starter set as a part of our swag bag. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, it was insane. And so it was a game I was already really interested in. I had actually already signed up to play, and the first thing that we played was a demo of the game with one of the two designers of the game, and it was the Assault on King's Landing, and so he was the Lannisters controlling the castle, and we were sort of coming up on the beach. Since Baratheons aren't in the game yet, it was actually us as Starks, and we each had individual units, and we're trying to sort of fight our way through in order to get to King Joffrey and kill him. Yeah, is, kill him dead. Is really how it worked. It was kind of fun. The little wrinkle that uh, the <clears throat> that they threw in for this scenario, there was a couple of us playing Bolton units, and in the game, the Boltons could either be with the Starks or with the Lannisters, similar to kind of how things play out in the books and, and the TV show, apparently, too. So I was one of the Bolton units, uh, the Bolton cutthroats who have spiked clubs, and uh, Rob Stark was leading that that unit and it got about halfway through the game and things weren't looking too great for the Lannisters as we were starting to kind of come up on the castle walls and there was a unit of berserkers played by my friend Chewie who was really kind of working his way up and that was going to be a tough unit for him to defend against so he gave me the offer that he would make it worth my while if I killed Rob Stark and changed sides to be with the Lannisters so I did (laughs) awesome how did that play out um I killed the archers that were on my team, well, my old team. Uh, I killed them right away after that, uh, which I kind of felt bad for because that guy, uh, my friend Chewie and I hadn't played before, so that guy is helping us kind of learn the rules and giving us a lot of tips and stuff, and then I just turn, turn court turn coat and kill him right away and wipe his unit out and he couldn't do anything the rest of the time. So that's kind of a dick move. But I got the hardcover rule book out of it and I got a alternate model for the Dreadfort captain. So that was kind of cool. It was worth it. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, the way it ended up, there was one, one unit remaining on our side, which were the Berserkers, and they got in and Roose Bolton was leading the Berserkers and he killed King Joffrey on the last roll uh, of the game to end up, you know, bringing the tyranny to an end and uniting the seven kingdoms behind the lord of all lords, Roose Bolton. <laughs> now, now the king of Westeros because that game was canon. So awesome. <laughs> Good to know. No need to watch Thrones tonight. <laughs> yep, he comes back. He comes back apparently. Uh, awesome. Other than that, we did a demo for an RPG that the guy is working on the finishing touches, so it was kind of a play test, which was a lot of fun. Uh, it was space-related. The whole setup was that you were on a spaceship, 
that was working on carrying people because Earth is destroyed because, you know, we're doing what we do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We're trumping it up. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Society and our civilization has terraformed Io, the moon of Jupiter. And so you're flying there and everybody's in stasis. You are the third sort of squad in the chain of command. So two other squads, something happened to them. So the fact that you're there, that's probably a bad sign. And so your whole thing is to try to figure out what's happening here. And it ended up, it was sort of a mix of psychotropic drugs and cannibalism that was kind of making things bad for everyone. Sounds like a party. (laughs) But uh, I ended up playing, I was a triage surgeon named Job Stroganoff, and uh, he was a berserker. So he killed a lot of people, uh, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, That was Wreckage was the name of the game. And it's their new RPG variant for the tabletop game that they're coming out with for their second edition. I think it's supposed to be sometime by Gen Con, is what he was hoping for. So so that was a lot of fun. The guy who ran the game, Matt from Hyacinth Games, was really awesome. And so that was a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, I don't really think I did a whole lot else other than the 40k team tournament was a lot. And just hanging out, shooting the shit and breeze with the guys... Uh, which is kind of the whole point of these events is when you, you go there, you're usually hanging out with the same group. And so some of the same, uh, some of the same jokes and tried and true things that happen each year come up or you sort of do different things, find, find new adventures to go on. So uh, it was a really good time. Sometimes you get a new nickname too. That is sometimes you get a new nickname. That's where, uh, that's where hobby box came from was there. But, uh, but yeah, what happens at Adepticon stays at Adepticon. Except so. for the names. Except for the names. Those get brought up from time to time. From time to time. And from time to time, we may travel to other shows. So here are my top five conferences that I would like to attend someday. It's time now for... The Final Countdown! Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, four, three. Two, one. Number five, PAX. The Panica Arcade Expo. Is that really what it stands for? That's what it originally stood for. Now it's just PAX. They said it has nothing to do with that. But it was originally started by the people who created Penny Arcade. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very consumer-friendly show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to go there, play a bunch of stuff, see what kind of interesting people I could talk to. PAX would be cool. So do you have, would you go to PAX East in Boston, the original PAX, which is in Seattle, or would you go to like PAX South in San Antonio? Totally the original. Totally the OG? I'd like to check out the West Coast, in Seattle specifically. Number four, Gen Con. It's something I've talked about with friends a number of times. The problem is, it usually falls on my anniversary weekend, which is kind of a big no-no. Although, <laughs> this coming year, in 2019, I believe it is at the end of July in my... Wedding anniversary is August 8th. Ooh. So you're saying there's a chance. There is a chance. (laughs) My wife and I wrote down the date. We're going to see what happens this year. And just to give you, if you thought the way I explained Adepticon made that sound huge, like Gen Con is times two that huge. It is insane. In order to get a hotel, you enter a lottery to see if you get a hotel that's by the convention center. Otherwise, you're, some people are booking like 30 miles away hotels and then driving in each day. That would suck, but I guess you do what you have to do. That's true. 
Number three, Comic-Con San Diego. I, I have an interest in comics. I'm not super hardcore, but like, I would love to see this Nerd Haven event. Like, It would be very cool. Yeah, and the way that that's developed into there's games that are premiered there, TV shows are talked about all the time, even not even superhero-related ones or comic-related ones, just... You know, Disney will be there showing off a Disney movie. It's just like, it's become this huge thing that's not just even comics anymore. It's crazy. It's like nerd mecca. Pretty much. Number two, I know you've been to this one before, and I know they're not doing one this year, but the PlayStation Experience. Yeah. PSX is a lot of fun. It's it's smaller than a lot of these other ones, it seemed like, because it's mostly Sony-focused, but they had a lot of third parties that were there, too. Uh, but it was really cool. Some of the stuff was playable, some of it wasn't. I was a little bummed I didn't get a chance to play God of War before it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is a chance, since they're not doing E3 this year, and they're probably going to announce the PlayStation 5 at some point, there is a chance they do it again, and it's not in December. It might be midsummer, early fall. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what they do. It'd be very cool. Details of the PS5 are out, but it'll be interesting when they announce the launch date. And my number one convention conference that I'd like to attend, even though it's slowing down E3, just because it's been the premier consumer event, or I guess not a consumer event, the premier event for electronics for ever. I, it's something I would very much like to see you walk through and uh, see if I run into anyone famous. Yeah, E3 would be phenomenal. My thing is I get so into like watching all the stuff like, I don't even know. I don't know if I would want to go. Like, it would be cool to go there and see what it's like. But I've kind of gotten into this whole watching other people experience E3. And I don't know if I like that more than I would actually like going to the conference. But if I had the chance, I'd go in a, in a second. So well, you could totally watch me experience it. That, that is true. You, just like college it. again. <laughs> <laughs> so what events did we miss? Tweet your thoughts at either one of us, at Tom underscore underscore awesome. Pull yourself together, birds. I'm, I'm working on it. Or send your thoughts to Joey at HobbyBoxBirds. <laughs> okay, that's Tom underscore underscore awesome or HobbyBoxBirds on the Twitter machine. Thank you again to our sponsor, Premier Health. Premier Health has solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accidents and work injuries, and more. I suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Thank you so much, Premier Health, for making all of our dreams come true with monthly episodes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias. Hola, como esta? Muy bien. ¿Dónde es la biblioteca? Dos cervezas y el baño, por favor. So, uh, Joey and I seem a little punchy. It's probably because we spent an awful lot of time together in the car last weekend. That's true. We traveled to Milwaukee from the Twin Cities for the Midwest Gaming Classic. They built this event as a classic gaming event with tons of consoles, Xbox 360 tournaments, and arcade cabinets. So, what were your expectations going into it, Joey? Or your expectations? My expectations? Um, I did some really detailed expectations. Uh, yeah, I noticed that, yeah. <laughs> I'm very mysterious when I'm inside you. No, um, <laughs> I don't even remember what movie that's from anymore, but it makes me laugh every time I think of it. Um, 
It's actually, I think it's a TV show. But anyway, I really wasn't sure what to expect. I, the only thing I knew was that it was going to be quite a bit different than anything I'd ever been to before. I knew it wasn't going to be something like PlayStation Experience, that there wouldn't be new stuff there or these big like marketing blowouts about different things. So I was I was intrigued. I I I knew it was going to be retro games, so I was kind of expecting that. But there are definitely some things I didn't expect. Yeah, I uh, I mean I'm a big proponent for letting the past and gaming largely die. So <laughs> this was a peculiar choice for me to go to. But I had a big group of friends going, and so we tagged along. We got the tickets for the Friday night preview, and then all day Saturday for the Friday night preview. They only sold so many tickets for it, and they billed it as an opportunity to play games without long lines, and for the most part, they were right. Mm -hmm. We spent, each of us spent $90 on tickets. Our room combined was about $300 for two nights with parking. I don't know why I went to this level of detail. <laughs> anyway, what did we play when we were there? Yeah, we spent about 30 bucks a piece on food the first day. The second, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> now we're just going to read our itemized expense report. It's going to be like Johnny Dollar. $195 on Lunar Silver Star Story and Lunar 2. My uh, gummy worms were $3.99. Mmm. Mmm. They smelled really good, too. <laughs> <laughs> I did not partake, but they smelled really good. So there were a bunch of games Yes, there, there was a lot of old games. It was it was really interesting. So the way they had that laid out was they the whole first row was light gun games, all the way from the very first ones, so your NES Blaster, all the way to some Time Crisis on the PlayStation, PlayStation 2 era. It was really interesting to see that there was just that, and then it was kind of a trip through the era, right? Yeah, I went right past the light gun game. Without no interest at all, but I did get a very funny picture. We had about eight guys in our group, and six of them walked up to the light guns, and I got a hilarious picture. Five people pointing their light guns at the screen and shooting, and you pointing your hand at the screen while holding your light gun down. <laughs> well, I was playing Wild Gunman on the NES, so it was a, it was a game where you do quick draw, and so I, I love was, that you're doing hand motions right <laughs> right now. His hand is on his holster, on his hip. And so, yeah, it's all about picking it up and shooting as yeah, fast you, as you can. You can't just hold it pointing at the screen and then shoot when they say shoot. Well, no. You that wouldn't be in the spirit of the game. Exactly. you got to really get in. If you're going to play Wild Gunman, I'm surprised you don't know this. If you're going to play Wild Gunman, you got to get into it. Well, I got into some witch games. Uh, check these notes out. I played <laughs> Magical Chase on TurboGrafx-16, which... I was not aware existed. <laughs> now, Magical Chase is a side-scrolling bullet hell where you play as a young witch. There's an upgrade shop that floats through the level, and it seems like you keep all of your upgrades throughout your lives, and it was surprisingly fun. Uh, I'm surprised that these first two games are both witch games. Yeah, the second one was Cotton Boomerang. Now, Brandon <laughs> discovered this one first. I'm like, hey, I just played a witch game. I'm going to check out this witch game. So, Cotton Boomerang, I didn't write down what system it was on. It was on something old and shitty. Uh, but it was also a broom-riding, side-scrolling bullet hell. And instead of traditional lives, you have three witches on the screen. When you get hit, you lose one. Uh, also, you had a hot teacher with huge anime boobs. Well, that's, that's of course. Yeah. They have to have that. Yeah, For some I mean, reason, what kind of a witch wouldn't learn from someone with gigantic boobs? Exactly. I mean, that's the only way you can learn if you are an anime witch, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. But Cotton Boomerang just makes me think it's some sort of like prank where you throw dirty underwear at somebody's head or something like that. Oh, yeah, that would make an angle. But no, you're just uh, witches shooting some shit, trying not to get shot by some other shit. I, I don't even know where does the does she throw a boomerang or 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Well, something was lost in translation, maybe there. Yeah, so I played that a little bit. It was alright. Uh, I played War of the Monsters on PS2. Now I remember having a demo of this on my PS2, and uh, this game did not age well. I don't remember if it was fun <laughs> in the day, but it was a turd. Now controls like garbage. <laughs> Just moving and trying to see your opponent sucks. Like, actually trying to hit them with anything was next to excruciating. <laughs> and my giant robot lost to Brandon's huge mantis, so playing once was enough. Yeah, that is, I think that was kind of my takeaway with a lot of the things, especially in those the old games area, was playing it once, and it's like, yeah, okay, I get what that was. Now time to move on. You know what I couldn't play just once? Stupid NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Boom shakalaka. I freaking love NBA Jam. And NBA this, Jam's awesome. It was rough, though. Like, the controllers they had, I played three times, three different controllers, three different controller issues. That like, sucks. the one Turbo didn't work. I lost that game. <laughs> In fact, I lost all three games with my Mighty Timberwolf. <laughs> Combination of Christian Leitner, my man Tom Gugliata, and uh, what was Ryder's first name? J.R.? J.R. Ryder, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they sucked. The I lost. Pri- the pride of the UNLV running Rebels, J.R. Ryder. Now and forever. And the, the best thing was the voice of NBA Jam, the announcer on there, was signing autographs in the vendor hall on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, he's also yelling a lot of shit out, which is incredibly distracting. And he's still got the voice, like, and you can hear it across the hall. Yes, oh yeah, he was belting it out pretty hardcore. So one thing I played that wasn't old, but was super-duper fun, was Cuphead. I have never played Cuphead before. Yeah, I hadn't either, and we played it together for a little bit, and that was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, me too. We played two bosses. I Well, maybe I played one with you and one with Brandon. Yeah. Uh, but I played two, against two bosses, both in co-op. We beat one. We couldn't figure out the final stage of the second one, but overall it was pretty fun. We made a note to come back and play again, and then never really did. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could buy Cuphead. It's fine. That is true. I also decided to take part in a tournament. I don't think I've actually taken part in a video game tournament before. So what better way to break the ice than with Mario Kart Double Dash, a <laughs> game that I had not played in over a decade. I teamed up with my friend Scott, and I was a massive handicap for him. <laughs> Just massive. I've never had a GameCube. I've never been a big fan of Mario Kart. I only have a very casual interest in it. I didn't find out until the last race that I was doing the slide mechanic wrong the entire time. Like, <laughs> the second player is responsible for boosting you when you're going around corners. And, uh, yeah, that set us back quite a bit. Ah. But the game had a fun concept. It was two people on each cart, and we had 16 total people, eight teams playing in it. And, uh, yeah, we sucked. We, uh, I think we got second in the first race and then never finished above fourth. Yeah. Um, so you probably finished middle of the pack. Yeah, I don't think we got last. We weren't the worst people there, but we were not competitive, and that is a challenging thing. Yeah, I mean, that'll happen. If I would have played, it would have been worse. So at least you got that going for you. Thank goodness for that. (laughs) I'm really good at setting that low bar. Yeah. (laughs) So pretty much all of the console games we played on Friday night. Was there anything you wanted to touch on, anything specifically? Uh, So I guess the one thing, I know I played lots of random things. The, The one thing that... I guess bummed me out a little bit is so some of my favorite games were the Star Wars computer games where you did a lot of spaceship dogfighting so X-Wing TIE Fighter and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter so they had a area where they had a bunch of Star Wars games set up and so they had uh, Star Wars TIE Fighter with a flight stick and everything there 
set up, and I was super excited. I was like, this is going to be awesome to play. And it just... It is... It just was not fun. It's too bad. It sucks. It's hard to go back. Technology has come a long ways, and games don't age particularly well. There are some classics that, you know, will always be fun, and the art style will hold up, but for the most part, games just don't age very well. Well, and, and like, the thing I always forget that is a more modern concept in games is when things, like, go wrong, old games didn't really tell you that. So, for instance, for some reason, my blasters stopped working. <laughs> about partway through. And granted, it was not very comfortable because they didn't have any chairs out on Friday night. So I'm standing crouched down on a table that was just below hip level trying to fly a flight stick while looking at a TV like hunched over like Quasimodo. It, yeah, it it just was not fun. It was, it was fun the one time I lined up a Y-Wing and shot it, but then my blaster stopped working, so I'm just flying around. And, oh, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> just, a, just a TIE fighter just through the universe with nothing else to do, I guess. So that's a bummer. I really want them to make another game like that. I know in the Battlefront they've done some of this stuff. With that, I would like them that, that to be its own game at some point in the future so you can just really get that scratch that dogfighting itch again but other than that i played some pinball a bunch of random things but that's really the big thing that and cuphead are the big things that stuck out to me yeah friday night was cool because you'd walk up to almost everything with very very minor weights if any to play it saturday was much more crowded we would have had to actually wait to play some shitty games so we uh just ended up playing a ton of pinball on saturday because we could get onto tables how did we ultimately decide to pass the time so we came up with, I mean, because you're kind of a competitive person. I have been known to have a somewhat competitive streak, <laughs> yes. I mean, I think anybody that knows you, competitive would maybe be one of the words that they would use to... I will destroy you all. I will crush you <laughs> to goo. There might be some expletives along with competitive that are thrown in there, but maybe some masturbatory gestures. You never know. <laughs> Oh, no, there definitely would be if you're playing. <laughs> so we decided to make a game out of playing all these games. So we came up with the Pinball Decathlon. What else would you do with your Saturday afternoon? Exactly. So we switched off with picking pinball tables and did 10 different pinball tables. And whoever scored the best would win that pinball table. And whoever won the most of the matches would end up the Pinball Decathlon champion. Which is an incredibly prestigious honor. Yes. We played games across all eras. We played some really old and shitty ones. Little pinball ages remarkably well. We played it does. some newer ones. The one thing that was surprising was how slow like pre-1970s pinball machines were. Like it was just like you're watching the ball crawl <laughs> down the table and then your flapper barely moves and just kind of like brushes the ball back up the table and it hits the bumpers and it just kind of is a suggestion to move this way. It was pretty ridiculous. It's like going from Gloomhaven to Tokaido. It's just a complete change. <laughs> Although super satisfying in the old machines because they have a little flipper for the score and they hear it like ding, 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 yep. ding, ding. I'm circling my hand as the score moves mm-hmm. up because everyone can freaking see that. Yep. The flip, 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 flip. Yep, that was really cool. Very cool. So Overall, yeah. I would say that I, again, I have somewhat of a competitive streak. I would say that I'm a better pinball player than you, Joey. Well, what would the results bear out? 
Well, I believe we tied five to five and had one rubber match. I think it was on Lethal Weapon 3, the pinball machine, was right? Was it Lethal Weapon or was it the one with the uh, hand paddles, the Demolition Man? Oh, yeah, it was Demolition Man. I did not take a picture of that one. That's right. Demolition Man was the was the, uh, was the tiebreaker, and I somehow, in the first ball, scored an ass ton of points, and I, I don't have any idea exactly how I did it, uh, and that was the difference. Yeah, I just completely fell apart under pressure. I... <laughs> Two out of the five games that I did win, uh, I lost a ball because of stilted and stupid tilt because the ball would yes. stick somewhere, stuck somewhere on the table, and I'd give it a healthy nudge to get the ball loose. I'd lose the ball, and somehow I still managed to win those two games. Yes. Um, and I lost six games where I had all three balls. Yeah, I mean... Life is strange, man. <laughs> life, is, life is strange. I'm surprised they didn't have a Life is Strange pinball machine. No doubt. You give up You give up after the first bonds. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I see, oh, no, 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 just emo. <laughs> I see you're scrolling through the pictures. What did we play? So we played, uh, some of the old ones we played were Skylab and Lunar Shot. Uh, timeless classics. Timeless classics. I some think of the, the greatest one, works of art in human history. Yeah, I think the other one was called Flickr, and it had Laurel and Hardy on it. It was, like, supposed to be an old-style movie one. That was the oldest game we played. Uh, and that one, even though it was slower than Molasses, was actually kind of fun. Uh, we went back to it a few times uh, over the weekend and played that. Otherwise, we played the Deadpool pinball machine, which is a newer pinball machine. Uh, Black Knight, which is also newer. And then Batman, but it's the Adam West era yeah, so Batman. A, a newer table with an older aesthetic. It was pretty cool. It was interesting. And... The other kind of development in it is with the video boards that they have on those newer machines, you can't just focus really on the table. you got to look up at the screen to see what your mission is at this point. And there's so many other weird, random things that pop up that luckily we were pretty generous to each other <laughs> and would be kind of spotters and say, oh, you got to hit the white area in order to get this and trigger this. And so we were doing a, we were, it was competitive, but it was, it was very sportsmanlike. In oh, the, I'm a gentleman. You are a gentleman. I am thorough and, uh, <laughs> I guess just very thorough. We couldn't get on the Baywatch table for our final match. That annoyed yes. me to know. And there were like two or three of them. One jackass was playing four balls all by himself <laughs> on the table. Four like, players, yeah. Yep. Um, but we played it on Friday night and it was pretty fun. Yeah, pinball, it was interesting. So Friday night, I did play the Metallica pinball machine. Uh, and the interesting thing about that was it used magnets to move the ball around at times, which was kind of cool. But at the end of the night, because at the end of the night, we played until midnight when it closed. At the end of the night on Friday night, I had the third highest score on that machine. Uh, I looked at it. After an hour and a half into the convention on Saturday, I was already the sixth highest score. I'm pretty sure that didn't last very long, so I'm probably not good not. at pinball. <laughs> but that is probably the most I've ever played pinball in my life. Me too. I enjoy pinball, but that was probably enough for a little while. Yeah, well, and especially, I mean, the really huge benefit is that we didn't have to pay a quarter for it each time that we played. Yeah, and so no that definitely made it a lot more, made me a lot more content playing it. Otherwise, if I would have been putting quarters in each of these times, or I'm guessing some of those are 50, 50 cents now or whatever. We would have just left on Saturday. We would have been like, we're good. <laughs> right, yep, yep. 
Uh, I'm not. I'm not wasting. Well, because then it's that pressure. It's like I need to get as much out of this fifty cents as possible, and so. If it, when the ball just goes straight down the center of the table again for the second time, it's just like, well, fuck this, you know? <laughs> In addition to the gaming hall, there's a big vendor hall. And just touching on it briefly, uh, there I saw a couple of cool things in here. I got all excited about four Keyforge decks because <laughs> when I got my first decks, Keyforge was hard to get your hands on, so now I just need to learn how to play. So excited, the first thing he did when we walked in was buy... Keyforge. Yeah, and then I called my <laughs> wife and asked for permission afterwards. <laughs> there were some really cool geek craft vendors there uh, with lots of art prints. I got my sister-in-law a Doctor Who bag with a cute oud on it, and I got myself a sweet Spider-Man print, so some good stuff. There were all the retro games you could ever hope to buy at this thing. There were 20 stands or more selling retro games. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm giving weird hand signatures. I'm trying not to cough into the microphone. I'm like, no, oh, you go, you go, you go. But I'm not saying you go. I'm just flailing. And, and, I, and I understood it, and I froze. <laughs> I was just like, ah. You're like Tom in a pinball tournament. <laughs> completely shut the bed. Yep. The ball just went right down the edge. Wah, 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 wah. So did you buy anything, Joey? Yes, uh, as I alluded to earlier. So I... The first real system that I played a lot of was the original PlayStation, and I really got into RPGs. That's when I really first started playing a bunch of different RPGs. Uh, kind of started with Final Fantasy VII. Uh, like Super Nintendo, I played some of them, but I really got into them on the PlayStation. And so two of them that I had missed on the original PlayStation were Lunar Silver Star Story and then the sequel Lunar 2. And... I've been meaning to pick those up at some point. Now, the thing about those two games is that they came, they were only ever released, I believe, in the complete edition, which has a cloth map and a couple of different manuals and just an art book. All this stuff kind of into this like expanded jewel case box that you get, and they're really hard to come by. So they're a collector's item, so that means they're super expensive. So every time that I've gone into like a retro gaming store, uh, I would look around to see if they had Lunar or Lunar 2 uh, because I'd pick it up. And I've looked at it, and I've had it on eBay or other places on the Internet. I've almost purchased it, but it was one of those things where it was so hard without actually seeing what I was going to be getting to pull the trigger on that. Mm -hmm. So the second stand I went to... Uh, at the convention, they had like almost pristine versions of both Lunar and Lunar 2. And so I haggled a little bit down to uh, 195 and purchased both of them. So, which is good. I mean, I got to see them. I know like what condition they're in. I got the guy's card to contact him if like none of the discs work and he'll find a replacement. Mm -hmm. And he was a really nice guy about it that way too. So, I, one of these days, I'll hook up my launch ps3 and and throw those in and and start playing those again because i never I, I start playing them i never played them before so i'll that be was... playing red dead your copy of red dead too actually oh yeah yeah you start that up yet no not yet no well it's okay don't get your hopes up too much yeah i hear it's okay yeah so we had <laughs> planned on uh recording this episode from the hotel room on sunday morning but Turns out I was kind of sick, and we didn't feel super energized from the conference, so instead we just had Dunkin' Donuts and we left town. So now it's been a week since we attended. What has stuck with us? For me, old games still aren't fun. 
you know, it was enjoyable enough to wander around, play some different stuff. One nice thing about older games is that they're very accessible. You can jump mm-hmm. right in, you can start having some fun with them, you can mess around. Uh, but for me, I would rather check out a new game from the library and even if Fallout 76 sucks, I'd rather have that experience than playing some crappy old things. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true in most cases. I think we all have those couple of games here or there that we're just always going to be nostalgic for. Like NBA Jam. Like NBA Jam, or for me, Asteroids. Once I found an Asteroids machine that I could figure out how to start, because one of them had weird <laughs> buttons all over the place and had a QR code so you could see what the story about the cabinet was. It's like, I don't give a shit. I just want to play Asteroids. Uh, but once I found the Asteroids, you know you have a good Asteroids machine with the real vector graphics when the bullets that you fire out of your little triangle ship are eye-searingly bright. Like <laughs> that, that, that means it is a true, That's real, real deal. It is a real deal vector graphics asteroids machine. That's something I always have a soft, soft spot for, so if I disappeared for a while, it was most likely walking over to that and not getting anywhere close to the high score, but still enjoying playing that game because that was one of the first games I played on the Atari and would always, if it was in an arcade, play it. So, so I thought this was weird. You don't tend to move very much playing asteroids. No, you 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 don't want to include or introduce any more variables than you have to into it. I fly around in that game and I blast everything. <laughs> like the chaos is just part of the beauty of it. No, you're really it's kind of like you're in a turret and you try you try to stay in your turret and shoot around as much as possible and then only in a last ditch effort do you move and you always want to try to find another spot that you can stop in. And that's just I bet you people who score high scores probably do move around and stuff. My my attention span's so terrible, I don't think I can do that. So I gotta keep it as stable as possible. Hobby Box Burns, anchors in one place. So yes, maybe this is a sign that we're getting a little bit older, but I had a hall pass to eat garbage this whole trip, like eat nothing but fast food. I never Phoenix and I never eat fast food. Mm-hmm. And so she said for this trip, you know, I could eat whatever I wanted to, just try to keep the food bill low. And we actually ate real food remarkably healthy food almost every meal we had salads on saturday night yeah and we were at a place that was known for building your own burger and we both ordered salads yeah they totally thought we were straight there (laughs) it didn't help that i walked in and said i'm the pitcher and raised my hand (laughs) and i was like i guess that makes me the catcher (laughs) yeah the only downside for the whole event, I got really sick. Like, on Sunday night after Thrones, I had a temperature of 101 or 102 degrees. Crazy. Yeah, I missed work on Monday. Like, I did not get out of bed. Like, usually when I'm sick, I crawl out to the sofa. Like, I'll have some entertainment either on the laptop or the iPad or something. Mm-hmm. But, no, I just I didn't get out of bed. I got up at, like, 4.30 to make myself some soup. And then I crawled back to bed until Phoenix got home. Yeah, I guess you needed to be more diligent with going to the uh, hand sanitizer station. Yeah, no doubt. Well, in the pinball area. One of our friends was like, yeah, it is disgusting to see how many people use the bathroom and then just walk out and go back and handle the controls. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, there are speakers and stuff, too, but nothing that really grabbed us there. Like, there are a couple guys we would have seen if we were around, but I don't know. We got into our pinball decathlon and speakers, but not a huge draw from anyone. Mm-hmm. 
Eric Bischoff was there. Uh, the guy that went to that that was with our group said he was really cool. Uh, he was supposed to talk about video games, but I think he talked about wrestling video games for 10 minutes and then just told cool stories. That's what everyone wanted anyway. Yeah, exactly, right? There's also an after party on Saturday night. Same guy went to that. He said it was a huge bomb. I mean, he brought his 8-year-old son, so I don't know how wild an after party you're looking for <laughs> with an 8-year-old, but uh, he was pretty disappointed. So we Saturday night, we sat around one of the guys' rooms playing Smash, just getting dominated until we said... We're good, and went back to play Final Fantasy. Yeah, I was happy I was able to hold my own. Yeah, you were, I mean, I think you were me too, but I was by far and away the worst player yeah. in that room, and that is a very frustrating thing for me. Scott was super nice. Like, Scott could have taken me behind the woodshed every time, but he basically, he just stood back, <laughs> let us all have our fun, and then he would battle Brian for Pretty much. championship. Pretty much. I think I finished second once. Um, otherwise, I was always third, fourth, or fifth, depending on how many people we had playing. Yeah, I won one when y'all went to the bathroom together, which was super weird, but I was thankful <laughs> for the opportunity. <laughs> we were playing a whole different Smash. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for including me, jerk. <laughs> the only winners. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't earn my way in. Yep, you weren't on the podium, you don't get to go. Damn it. <laughs> So that was our experience at the Midwest Gaming Classic. I'm working on my full impressions for Outside is Overrated, so depending on how the week goes, you might be able to read it first. You might hear this and then go read it, but check it out on OAO. We'll have a bunch of pictures from the event and uh, good stuff. Side note, Outside is Overrated. Totally. As, as you can see, and I'll give you sort of the visual. <laughs> oh, he took off his watch and there is a white patch on his arm surrounded by red. Yes, so I got... We played games outside. Uh, we actually played the Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniatures game yesterday, me and my friend Chewy. Uh, but we played outside and, you know, probably shouldn't have been outside as long as I was without putting sunscreen on for two and a half hours. A week ago we had a blizzard, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> we were worried about traveling to the gaming classic because there was a blizzard. There were 20 semis. No, at least a dozen semis. At least. Uh, in the ditch on the way to the convention. And it's not that long of a drive that you would expect to see that many semis actually in the ditch. <laughs> it was wild. And now you're sunburned. Yeah, now I'm sunburned. So outside is, in fact, overrated. Thank you for the validation. <laughs> no, it's not overrated. Books. Books are not overrated. Books are great. And if we sound particularly good this episode, it's because Joey had the brilliant idea to prop up his microphone with a book, which keeps it right up in our mouths at all times. I could say something sad and silly and drop the tempo, and you all can still hear me. This is going to be magical. <laughs> well, you know, I like to bring visual aids. Yeah, that, which is a wonderful thing for an audio podcast. It, I thoroughly enjoy it. You have a Gloomhaven book. You have a Song of Ice and Fire rule book. You have Console Wars, which is the book for Bernsey's Book Buzz by Blake J. Harris. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I like to have it um, here. Really, it's just collecting my dead skin uh, from being sunburnt, which is well, gross. Well, disgusting. Yeah, get out of my house, you <laughs> disgusting creature. Sorry, I'm molting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, Console Wars by Blake, Blake Harris. This is a game that I've had recommended to me multiple times. It's a I've book w- that you've probably had recommended <laughs> yes, to me. It's a book, not a game. Oh, cripes. I think my uh, brain is sunburnt, too. But uh, Brains are overrated, too. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say that till the day I die, I guess. Um, but so Console Wars, it's a book that's been recommended to me multiple times uh, by various different people on the Internet. Tom even mentioned it on one I of the podcasts it. a while ago. Yeah, second episode, yep. the uh, original Game of Thrones episode. And so I, I really wanted to read it because I'm, I'm super interested in how the industry works and it was a really good look back. It focuses a lot more on the 
the point of view of Sega of America and how they became relevant and how they sort of fought against Nintendo. So we were just playing all these retro games. And it's it's pretty easy to forget that in the mid-80s, there was a huge crash in the video game industry. Some thought the industry was dead. Yes. Uh, but Nintendo, with the uh, Famicom in Japan, uh, the family computer system, and then what became the Nintendo Entertainment System in America, ended up turning everything around and creating really what the modern video game industry is. They pioneered a lot of that. And they even set the price point that is still valid for video games right now. Prices, a new video game has been $60 since the Super Nintendo days. It's wild. Inflation has caught everything else except for video games. Which is tangent for a second, but that's why uh, I tend to not balk so much at people selling DLC for games and things like that because of the fact that games really haven't changed price, but... I know they're a hell of a lot more expensive to make than they used to be. I mean, it used to be like one person would crank out a game. Now, how many people do you think worked on Red Dead 2? Hundreds? Oh, it was in seven the, years? It was in the... I think, I think they've actually said it was in the thousands. Thousands of people over seven years. Like, those are people with jobs, salaries, families, lives. There's no income coming in there. Like... I don't pay for a lot of DLC myself. That's my choice as a mm -hmm. consumer, but I do not fault the industry for doing it. Yeah, and I really don't either that much unless I really like the game. And even in that case, I put it off until, like, I know I'm going to play it, which I don't really do when I buy games. So it, it is interesting to see, kind of looking back at the early days of the industry and how, sure, Nintendo set up what the and brought video games back to relevancy and actually brought them in a meaningful way into the living room. I mean, the Atari was in the living room, and then you had like the ColecoVision, Turbo Graphics, all of those things were around, but it was really Nintendo that set the bar as to this is what a home video game console is like. But you don't really give Sega enough credit, I don't think people do these days for what they did to modernize the industry and make it more open. Nintendo, uh, still, <laughs> to this day, is a very closed-off company. They kind of are set in their ways and do the things that they want to do. So it was really interesting to see the story behind uh, Sega of America president uh, right after the Genesis launched, Tom Kalinske, and how he generated uh, created a team to try to combat against Nintendo and show them that because of the way that they operated, which wasn't extremely consumer-friendly in a lot of ways. In some ways, it was because they made sure quality games were out there. Uh, they ensured that if a game was put out by Nintendo, you knew it was going to have uh, a certain set of standards behind it. And it was going to be family-friendly at that point, too. And so Sega said, well, we want to make games for everybody, not just that sort of area that falls within what Nintendo is attacking. And so it was a really interesting look at that, as well as it also looked into Nintendo responding to Sega, uh, especially started to focus on Nintendo when they were starting to lag behind once it got into the Super Nintendo era and Sega actually took over a majority of the market for a little bit. And then also see the perspective of Sony getting into it and how they started coming up with the ideas of creating the PlayStation and how they originally were supposed to do 
a CD system for a CD-based system attachment for the for the Nintendo or Super Nintendo, and then Nintendo did a 180 and turned their back on Sony without telling them, because <laughs> uh, quite literally the one point in the book is when the head of Sony was sitting there expecting them at, at the Consumer Electronics Show to announce Sony was going to be making this CD console, and instead they said it's Philips Magnavox. <laughs> and, and, and the guy's just sitting there, he's like, I didn't get the memo about that. And then they told him afterwards, yeah, sorry, we just, it was a corporate decision in Japan that we had to do this. And that was the other interesting kind of takeaway is the difference and how much of a philosophical fight there tends to be between the American arm of these companies and then the Japanese arm of these companies, uh, especially with Sega, the kind of the battle between Sega of Japan and Sega of America to determine what's going to work and what makes the Genesis a good system and what makes Sonic good mm -hmm. and how do we show that to consumers. Uh, it's really interesting uh, how that worked and the Genesis was a much more popular system in America than it ever was in Japan. The Nintendo never really lost the lead in Japan um, to anybody except for maybe Sony when the PlayStation came out. It's a really interesting book. I, I would highly recommend it for anybody that's interested in history. It does a good job of presenting the story not in the way a lot of nonfiction does, where it's kind of explaining the events from a third-party perspective. But what uh, Blake Harris does is, through his interviews, he then crafts it in the people that he was talking to, their perspective for each individual chapter. So you're following through as if you were in the room with Tom Kalinske when he's talking to these different people. Or, for instance, when they were creating the rating system for games because Mortal Kombat, you know, lit a fire under everybody's ass. Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of the complaining and argument between Nintendo and Sega about whose fault it was that they needed this and, and sort of the infighting that happened in that conversation. He presents it that you're actually actively in that instead of from, like, a historical perspective like a lot of nonfiction does. And so I think that's really engaging and really interesting. And he does a good job of jumping between the different perspectives of the companies when it was important. And so, yeah, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a phenomenal book. I know some people uh, don't like it for some of those reasons. I, I think it's really phenomenal, and I would definitely recommend people buy it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I agree with your points. I thought it felt like a novel at very many points. Uh, it was a really good narrative. The only thing I struggled with was so many characters, so yes. many people that I almost needed a Game of Thrones appendix <laughs> to keep all the families, all these great houses of Nintendo and Sega straight. House Sega of America. <laughs> Mascot Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> the last thing we're going to talk about here today is an update on our Final Fantasy challenge. It is April. We are playing Final Fantasy IV now, but before we get there, let's talk about our final impressions of Final Fantasy III. I think I made more progress on this than Joey. I had an advantage. I was on a work trip. I got sick. Mm -hmm. I've been getting sick yeah, so much since my child started daycare. It's been rough. <laughs> but I basically had an entire day to kill in a hotel room in New Orleans. So here are my takeaways. Joey, jump in when you feel it's appropriate. But overall, Final Fantasy III felt like a return to form for Final Fantasy I, while also previewing the greatness that future entries would mm -hmm. embody. Now, this version was a remake. I think it would be very interesting to see the original. I just wonder how many of the rough edges they smoothed out, because it played great. It played almost like a modern game. Mm -hmm. For my progress, I found three crystals. 
Um, and then you find out that you've only witnessed a very small part of the world. You've lived your entire life on a floating island. I just made it down to the surface world and was trying to work my way to the fourth crystal and uh, I ran out of time in the month. So it's pretty good. It, I love the way that you unlock more jobs as you retrieve more crystals. I had one character that I kept as a white mage for healing the entire time. I had another character that I tried to keep as a melee character. And then I experimented with the other two, dabbling between different types of casters to try to find the right mix for me. Yeah, I, I've always been super intrigued by the job system. It's weird because other than Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, I haven't really played any of those games that much. I have, I've never played five other than booting it up because it was on the same disc as six when it was re-released on the PlayStation and never played three until now. And I really only got an hour and a half into it, if that. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's just, I think a lot of it was because March was a super busy month. I had a lot of things going on. Yeah. Uh, I thought that at Adepticon I was going to have time to sort of play it while those guys were going to be playing in the 40k team tournament but then as we talked about before things changed with that Um, and so it is one of those that if i get to a point where i finish a game early again in a month because i know i i finished final fantasy one with 10 days to spare Mm -hmm. in january if i ever get to that point i'm going to jump back into three and play that again i'm going to jump back to one then i'd go to three and then if there's time i'd go back to two gotcha yeah yeah two would definitely be It'd be one of those things where if I beat all of the other ones, to be a completionist, I'd want to go back to two. It just is, it's work. Like, that game felt like work <laughs> to try to actually do it, whereas... So you don't want to take time off from work to do some more work? <laughs> not that kind of work. I would I would, I would, would much rather play Final Fantasy 3 or, uh, as we're going to talk about, Final Fantasy 4. I like the way you work it. Yeah. Yo, diggity? No doubt. Ooh. So, our initial impressions of Final Fantasy IV, both of us had played this before. I got through most of it a couple years ago. I decided that I was going to start playing old Final Fantasies, and I started here, and so I've been to the moon. And I don't know if I ever made it that far, actually. Oh, shit, I just ruined everything. So I mean, sorry. I knew that that happened. I'm so sorry. No, I, I, I knew that there was the Lunarians and all that stuff. But uh, So, yeah, Final Fantasy IV was really the first Final Fantasy I played. I was a little bit young at that point, and so... Basically, me playing Final Fantasy IV a lot of the time was my brother playing and me watching him. And then in between, I would just wander around and do random fights uh, when he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grind out some levels for your brother? Yeah, basically, right? Uh, nice. But I love that game. And it, it was one of those things where, because it was originally Final Fantasy II on the Super Nintendo, uh, because the history of all of it was once one was finally localized for the U.S., that was when they were starting to make the transition from the NES to the Super NES. And so once that was happening, it didn't make sense for them to go back and localize Final Fantasy 2 and 3 for the Nintendo since they were already moving on from it. And so at that point, they decided to not cause confusion since they had released Final Fantasy. They made four Final Fantasy 2 in America and then six Final Fantasy 3 in America when those were released on the Super Nintendo. And so we never actually owned Final Fantasy II. We had rented it from uh, the the uh, Pizza Vid in Lewiston. And uh, we had a pretty good agreement with Bill who ran the Pizza Vid. Since we were really the only ones that rented Final Fantasy II and III, mostly because we always had it out. 
that he gave us a pretty good deal for renting it for like two months at a time. Uh, and it was just like, well, you know, if you stop playing it, just bring it back. So then if somebody else wants it, they can grab it. So it was interesting. We, we would rent it for months at a time and slowly play through it whenever we had time. Like seeing the beginning of the game with all of the airships and the Red Wings theme and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just like it really hits that nostalgia uh, from me seeing that when I was probably, what, nine or something like that. So uh, it's really cool. and It's been really fun jumping into it again. Some of my takeaways, the story is really good. Yeah. There are really interesting characters sprinkled throughout, and they weave in and they weave out of your life. Mm-hmm. There is sacrifice and meaningful loss. There's no job system, which is kind of hard to adjust to after three, so you lose flexibility on your party composition. Mm-hmm. You basically have the four or five guys that they say you're going to have at the time you're going to have them. Yep. Uh, but overall, I think this is by far the best of the first four Final Fantasies, and I, I understand why this franchise means so much to so many people based on this entry. Yeah, they really nail the distinct and interesting characters. And like you said, a lot of the games before that would have serious things happening within the game, but this was kind of the first Final Fantasy that really had a serious story and, like you said, sacrifices that are meaningful, Mm -hmm. that people are willing to kind of give up their lives for some of the characters so that they can continue on their quest to try to stop this evil empire, basically, from trying to run ramshot over the world and steal all the crystals, so... It's interesting. There's very specific pieces of the game that I remember, but there's bits in between that I don't. So it's been fun going back through it now and seeing those chunks and being like, okay, I think I kind of remember this. And it's like, I don't remember this at all. This is awesome, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm hoping that I get through it by the end of the month. We'll see what happens. Indeed, me too. Uh, my good friend, the Rogue Hippo, put the over-under at Adult Rydia coming back to the party. I don't know how close I am to that. <laughs> I remember when it... I remember it happening my first playthrough, so we'll see. I would like to, you know, get there and beat the game so I can tell him to shut his big, fat, stupid <laughs> mouth. And that's about it for this episode of Outside is Overrated. For the next two episodes, things have been going so well with Tom and Joey that we decided to kick him out of here. <laughs> we're saying farewell to Joey, and we're bringing in an expert on Sherlock Holmes and a local game developer. So, Joey, how are you going to spend your next two months away from OIO? Well, actually, I'm looking for investment opportunities and people that are willing to invest. Some people would call it a Ponzi scheme. I don't like to use pejorative terms negative, like that. negative connotation. Yeah, but if you do have... We'll call it a Joey scheme. A, a Joey, Joey yeah. opportunity. A Joey-tunity. Joey-tunity. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, if anybody has a couple grand to spare, uh, you know, just hit me up at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter because uh, all legitimate financial decisions are, are, you know, and financial investment opportunities are handled through Twitter. Yeah, that's um, where all the Nigerian princes hang out. <laughs> yes, it is. I think I'm friends with all of them. Them and the 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 uh, porn bots. Yeah. Um, that follow me, which is hey, I yeah. guess it's a follower. We'll take every single one that we can get. <laughs> I won't watch your videos, but you know, feel free to watch ours if you want to. <laughs> Um, spank me 7569 but um, so yeah that's how I'm going to spend my time apparently I'm going to play Days Gone also that's coming out here this next week Um, looking at putting some time into that looking forward to chatting about it on an upcoming episode thank you so much for listening to this edition of Outside is Overrated if you enjoyed it please tell a friend I guess if you didn't enjoy it still please tell a friend and try to convince (laughs) them to listen to it (laughs) you can follow us on social media I'm 
at Tom underscore underscore awesome. He's at HobbyBoxBurns on the Twitter machine. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. Follow us on Instagram at Outside underscore Overrated Pod. We'll be back with another great show next month. Stay inside, kids. Yes, definitely stay inside. <laughs> stop talking about your thing we could do an audio test <laughs> i'm sure that worked i'm Perfect. sure that worked <laughs> i turned on recording there so we're gonna have hey turd dick <laughs> the credits. it's gonna be great yeah that works my life is serious i just literally kissed my microphone use a little more tongue don't tell me what to do <laughs> really get in there <laughs> The doors are open. Maybe we'll get some crickets on this podcast. Other than when, you know, I think that I'm funny and then there's just deafening silence. Do a little dance. Get into the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Whose house? Tom's house. Whose house? Tom's house. I thought we were trying to make this a serious podcast. Tom is of the essence here. Not time. Tom. Nope. Nope. Tom. Tom. Say it, Joey. Tom. Show Tom? Tom! <laughs> you are my mortal enemy. I am? Or Show Tom is? All of you! <laughs>